0: All right, I'm turning this evening to Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs chapter 22, and we'll be looking tonight at verses 10 and 11 and dealing with the subject of pureness of heart, pureness of heart. Proverbs 22, let's look at verses 10 and 11 together. Cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. There are those two expressions, the pureness of heart and the grace of his lips. Uh, we, As we continue this verse-by-verse exposition of Proverbs, we are continually confronted with These deep biblical truths regarding the casting away of impurity and the seeking after or putting on Uh, purity—we are have been reminded tonight in those two psalms, especially Psalm 51, that David was praying that God would create in him a clean heart. The heart is a source, a place where impurity can remain and impurity can dwell. Uh, We are commanded to cast it out. We are commanded to make sure that our hearts are right, to make sure that our hearts are uh, pure, that they are what they are supposed to be. And the writer here of Proverbs in these two verses really gives us a compare and contrast between two types of people. Uh, we have continually been confronted with, throughout the Proverbs, of the person who's called a scorner. Uh, We might also call him a scoffer. Uh, A scorner or a scoffer is not just a person who uh, mocks those who are of the faith, but it's also a person who mocks its sin. It's a person who looks at sin, mocks its effect, mocks those who call attention to their sin or might even, how dare they have the audacity to call them a sinner. A scorner would just laugh that off. They would just simply say, uh, you know, sin isn't real. Uh, sin is not really a problem. There are no consequences of sin. There's no wages of sin. All, they would say things, this is, uh, this is all make-believe. This is all a fairy tale. Uh, The scorner or the scoffer is one that just simply insults um, not only faith, but faith in Christ. Uh, They scoff at good men. They scoff at good women. Um, Everything that is serious, everything that is spiritual, anything that has to do with uh, the removal or the casting out of sin, uh, they want nothing to do with. Now, the words and the expression here is quite extreme. Um, We're told here to cast out. Uh, The idea behind casting out is to remove from your presence. Remove from where you are. Um, Cast them out of your company. Cast them out of your conversation. Uh, They are going to cause you trouble. Scorners and scoffers cause trouble. Uh, they cause trouble with the intent of uh, making you, making I, myself, look lightly at sin. Maybe God isn't so concerned about sin. Maybe, maybe God is, is, is really not that upset by, by what we do and, and maybe even insults our, our faith. A scoffer or a scorner might say, you know, religion is just a crutch. I don't need religion because I don't need a crutch. I, I don't need God because I don't need a crutch. Uh, they they just have nothing good to say. Um, when we're trying to keep a heart that's pure, uh, when we're trying to, and we we are we are uh, we are doing what we can to advance, when we are trying to maintain a pure, uh, not only a pure heart but we're trying to maintain pure actions and pure activities. Oftentimes we allow the scoffer or the scorner. Uh, to remain longer than we should. Uh, I realize we're living in a day and age when we have suddenly gotten very frightened um, of offending. Um, we've decided that we're just going to accept and we're not going to offend anyone, so we're just going to tolerate uh, the scoffing and the scorners. Uh, the reality here is, is that this is, this, this is a, a, a command to cast that scorner out, and he says there's a direct effect on what happens. You cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Anywhere you see a scoffer, anywhere you see a scorner, a person who makes a mockery of sin, makes a mockery of faith in Christ, I can assure you you're going to have contention. Uh, if you were to have a, were have a scorner within our midst, uh, there would be contention. Uh, their desire is to contend with you. Um, There's a lot of Christians that are drawn in to contention by a scorner. Uh, We do not, nor should you, have to answer every scorner. Uh, You don't have to respond to every time contention is brought up. Oftentimes the contention that comes and the, the strife that comes, the conflict that comes... Um, it simply just causes us more harm than what we really should allow. Um, scorners are not there to admire your faith. Uh, in many cases, a scorner is not even there to get an answer. They're there because they want to contend with you. I would say, and, and maybe this is a bit personal tonight, but I would say that we, we probably put up with contention longer than we should. Uh, We probably allow it to remain because we're afraid that if I cast out or I remove myself out of the presence of that person, it may cause trouble. You're in deeper trouble continuing to contend with someone who's trying to cause trouble. Um, So sometimes that means you have to make very difficult things, you gotta make difficult decisions. You have to decide, am I going to remove this temptation that's leading me astray, maybe is attempting to change my view of how I view sin. Uh, The purity of your heart ought to be guarded and it ought to be protected. You ought to protect the purity of your heart. Uh, You and I don't need any help adding impurity. Uh, We are are enough trouble to ourselves. We are enough trouble uh, by the things that we allow ourselves without allowing the scorner to move us even further in that direction. I hope, that, I hope I'm making sense with that. But sometimes that means we have to remove that scorner. Now again, this is not just a church setting. Matter of fact, Solomon is most likely not writing just from a church perspective here. He's writing, cast out the scorner from your presence. If, if that scorner is continuing to do nothing but make a mockery of sin, make a mockery of Christ, make a mockery of, of your faith, at some point you're going to have to take action. You see, sometimes we just simply accept it. We've been there personally. We've, we've had people mock. Uh, we've, we've, we've been there. I'm sure you folks have been there. And sometimes you just have to make those decisions. But notice he says that when the scorner is removed, the contention goes out. The contention goes with the scorner. It doesn't remain. It goes out. I think it's an important concept to learn there. Strife and reproach also ceases. It would be a strange individual to me that enjoys contention, joy, enjoys strife and enjoys reproach. I would, I, would, I would deeply have to ask, why would a person enjoy that? I don't enjoy contention. I don't enjoy the strife. None of us want that in our homes, I would presume. I don't think anybody here says, I, 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 I'm, I'm leading my family to have as much contention and strife and reproach as we can possibly accumulate. No, you're, you're trying to raise your family and raise them in the nurture of the Lord and trying to guide them in purity and trying to guide them in a pure heart. And sometimes we allow contention to remain way too long. Uh, I, I realize from a personal standpoint myself, I mean, sometimes we, we over our lifetime have, have lost uh, friends and relationships because they were scorners. That's, that's no other way you can put it. Um, and so these are truths that we, we really need to think about here. Um, this is not the first time that uh, this has been mentioned. Um, in Proverbs 122 and in Proverbs 9.7, we have reference being made to a scorner. Um, a, a proud mocker is what he could be called. Um, in Proverbs 9.7, we'll just look at one of these. There's a couple of these passages or these verses we could look at. Um, Proverbs 9.7 it says he that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a a blot. Um, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. And remember this entire key to the book of Proverbs. And honestly, that the understanding God, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Um, So we see that this this scorner is is not the first time um, that we've heard it. Um, Proverbs 6.14 also talks about this from a conflict perspective. Uh, Proverbs 6.14, forwardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief. How often? Continually. He soweth discord, mischief, discord, evil, hurtful things stirs up controversy, stirs up quarrels, stirs up contention. All of these are descriptions of what a scorner does uh, Proverbs 15:18 it's another one we'll look at a wrathful man stirreth up strife but he that slow he that is slow to anger, appeaseth strife. Okay, so again, connection between the scorner and a wrathful man. He's an, he's an angry man, but the, the, the he that's slow to anger appeases this strife. He, he allows it to settle or allows it to be uh, brought to a calmer resolution. So we see that there is this casting out of the scorner. Contention can be defined as an angry disagreement. Strife is bitter. Sometimes strife is violent. Strife is a struggle. The word reproach here means to bring shame or disgrace upon someone. Notice these are all the things that a scorner causes. A scorner causes contention. A scorner causes strife. And a scorner causes reproach. Wherever he or she is, they cause contention. Whether it's in a a family, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a workplace, a scorner causes contention. A scorner is continually casting reproach on good people and on good things. Now, not good in the sense that we're good enough ourselves, but casting reproach on, for example, those who believe in Christ, those who are Believers in God. The scoffer, the scorner only has one goal. That's to stir up strife. But when he's cast away, God's word says, everything of that nature ceases. What's replaced by? What all of us, I think one in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces, peace takes over, love takes over. We've constantly met a scorner, 22 chapters into Proverbs, and we've met scorner after scorner after scorner. Why is that? Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's because we ourselves are going to frequently meet with scorners in our life. It's not going to be the casting away of one. We're going to to deal with numerous and many scorners over our life. Again, the principle here is, is that scorner is to be dismissed, or at the very least, they're to be put away, right? Contention, strife, reproach, those things go away because that's the aim of the scorner. Uh, This is not being done in ignorance. Um, Let me just clarify this. There are people who are truly desiring answers. There are people who are, will have conversations with you about the things of God, and they truly want to know. They are truly, they're listening to you, and they might disagree with what you're saying. But then there are those that are doing nothing more than trying to draw you in to stir up a strife, right? I mean, so we've got to be careful that we don't just label, okay, if someone disagrees with me something spiritually, they're, they're a scorner. No, the scorner that 's their pattern everywhere they go, contention follows them everywhere they go every every interaction they have there's a there 's a contention it's it 's kind of like we say if there's always uh, there 's always drama everywhere you go, you might be the source right there 's contention everywhere you go, uh, you might be the contender but there's this is to be put away, and then we get to the contrast of the contrast of that he that loveth pureness of heart now every believer tonight ought to love and desire pureness of heart now we know what Solomon's not talking about here is talking about naturally pure hearts we know that man's heart is naturally impure we understand that the heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked who can know it We know that without God, our thoughts, our affections, our mind, our conscience, our understanding, and our will would not be what they are supposed to be without the effect of God upon them. But do you realize this pureness of heart is actually a real thing? It's just as real as a scorner. You and I can have a pureness of heart. Well, what does a pure heart have to have? First of all, it has to have the grace of God. You cannot have a pure heart without God's grace. God's grace has to dwell within us. When God's grace dwells, there's a pure love for God. There's a love for the things of God. There's a love for his doctrines. There's a love for his word. There's a love for his people. A pure heart has been apprehended by the grace of God. There's also a pure love to Christ. There's a love for things that are holy. There's a love for things of heaven. There's a love for those who are the brethren. We talked over the the last number of weeks, we talked about one of the, 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 the points of our assurance is our love for the brethren. A pure heart loves the brethren. A pure heart is a heart that is a unfeigned heart, Paul might say when he's writing to Timothy. It's a heart that is not hypocritical. It has a pure, true faith in Christ. It knows that its hope, its only hope, is in Jesus Christ. We know where our, heaven, where our eternal life comes from. It comes from the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Wherever the Holy Spirit dwells as a sanctifier and Christ dwells by faith, there's going to be or there should be a desire for a pure heart. A pure heart is also a sincere heart. It's a heart that's worried about and concerned. Not worried, that's, a, that's an improper word there, but it's a heart that's concerned about integrity. Honesty. Peace. Peace. Wherever a heart has been converted by the blood of Christ, what has it been converted from? It's been converted from an evil and guilty conscience. It's, it no longer is seeking after the things of this world. It's no longer seeking after the things that the, flesh, the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, this pureness of heart does not mean that you will be completely immune to the lust of the flesh. Again, in our series on assurance, and even now as we began last Sunday by looking at Romans six about continuing in sin, we understand that there's always going to be a battle between the lust of our eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Yet there should be within every person who God's grace has changed that heart even though we're going to falter, we are going to fail, we're not always going to be entirely free from impurity, there should be a hatred for that impurity. We should hate the presence of it. You know, one of the, prayer, one of the prayers personally that I have been praying for myself personally is for God to continually remind me and to teach me to have a hatred for sin the way he hates it. Because I'm not sure we fully grasp that same level of hatred. Now, I don't know, are we capable of fully grasping it because we're not God? Maybe not, but I think we're able to get to a place where we can despise when impurity enters in, that we don't want it there. We want it removed. We want to take it away. We're not content to leave impurity there. There. Again, I'm always always taken back when I read. And that's why I read Psalm 51 tonight. I'm always taken back by the sincerity of David's heart in that psalm. When David, when we were reading that, if you want to turn back there and you just look again at how David expresses himself in this, he, he acknowledges his own transgressions. Blot out, he says. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David was sick of his sin. Now you'll recall the story that when Nathan came to David and told him the little parable about the man stealing another man's sheep, David was infuriated. He was infuriated. Who who would dare do that? And you know what Nathan said, thou art the man, David. You're, You're the subject of the story. David was deeply affected by that. And by the way, I would consider, David would consider Nathan a friend that reminded him and called him out about what that sin was. But notice he talks about, he uses expressions like wash me, cleanse me. Verse 3, he says, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He says, it's against thee. And thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. David says, when did this sin that so easily seems to rise up I was shaping in iniquity, he says in verse five. Verse six: Behold, telling God this, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me. That's a that's a, with hyssop. Hyssop was used in the the ceremonial cleansings, and it was to symbolize an unclean person back to fellowship with a holy God. David's acknowledging that. This impurity of my heart has separated me. David in Psalm 51 is taking sin very seriously. He's taking the impurity of his heart. He's acknowledging that right now my heart is not pure. It's not where it should be. We also see that this was actually affecting David. I know this is an exposition on Psalm 51, but it's hard to just run through this. But you see, make me to hear joy and gladness. His joy was gone. His gladness was gone. That's what sin does, folks. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of your gladness. Thou hast broken the bones which thou hast broken. And then he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart. It's interesting, that word create is the same word that's used all the way in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. It's the same exact word. A right heart, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from my presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Look at the words that David is using here. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God of my salvation. He says, you don't desire sacrifice, verse 16. He said, the sacrifice that you require is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, Thou will not despise. Really comes back to the reality of the heart being right. God is indicating here, and David is, is verifying it, that what God desires more is not some kind of a ritual, spiritual, a ritual cleansing. It's a, it's a, it's a heart worship. It's a pure heart. It's a heart that has been purified by repentance. And that's what David, David wanted a pure heart. It's a bit ironic that David is called a man after God's own heart, and yet David wasn't a perfect man. But yet God called him that. You see, we constantly have to be on guard about the impurity that enters into our heart. A person who's been saved by the grace of God hates the impurity that is in him. But he loves purity. He desires purity. He makes any use of all means possible to move in the direction of pure things. He's also going to love the brethren and love others who have a pure heart. He's going to love the pureness of heart in himself and in others. For the grace of his lips, or we might say the grace that is in his lips, or his lips are gracious. Whatever's in a man's heart, that's what that man's going to speak. If you have impurity in your heart, you're going to speak impurity. If you have impurity in your heart, you're going to think impure thoughts. You're going to do impure things. A person with pureness of heart is going to speak and desire to speak in a pure, clean way. A man with grace of his lips is a gracious man who's been apprehended by the grace of God. He understands the blessings of grace. He understands the blessings of God's sovereign election in his life that God even counted him even enough to call him one of his own. It also comes from lifetime of experience. We all, if we're honest with ourselves and before God tonight, we often know and we probably know where our sources of impurity come from. Experience has taught us that. Often the impure things are not surprises to us. They're the things that so easily beset us already. Lips should minister grace. Lips that minister grace are due to a heart that's pure. It's interesting that he makes a comment about the king shall be his friend, that it's it seems as if it doesn't belong here, but it really does. A man who speaks graciously and speaks graciously even to the king, who speaks graciously to those uh, who are in authority over him, that king will even think kindly of him because he speaks graciously. He speaks of a pure heart. He's a man of an upright heart. God might even give that individual favor because of the way he speaks. But most importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ himself loves a pure heart. He loves lips that speak grace. He loves loves the lips of his people that speak grace, grace in prayer. They speak words of praise about the goodness of God. Christian conversation is pure. The pure in heart shall see Christ, shall see him for who he is. Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He loves purity. He loves righteousness and he hates iniquity. What we say should be pleasing to the Savior that died for us. What we do should be pleasing. The Lord Jesus should be the subject of our praise. There's a few verses I want to leave you with tonight. What does the, what does the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ want to see and love to see? Purity. Matthew 5.8 Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. James 4.8, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Of the Savior Himself, it's written in Psalm 45.2, grace is poured into the lips. It's no wonder Jesus Christ Himself loves to see His children with a pure heart. Colossians 4, six. therefore let your speech be always with grace. Titus 2.8, let it be sound speech which cannot be condemned. Matthew 12.35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. These are the characteristics of a person who's pure in heart. That includes the words of what our lips say, what our mouths say proclaim what Christ has done for us ought to make us desire to have our hearts always pure before him what Christ has done by dying for us by laying down his life for his people I'm always taken by what it says in John 15 verses 13 through 15 it says greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends, ye are my friends, Jesus says, if ye do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. It really is remarkable that the Lord Jesus Christ himself calls us friend. I'm not asking you this rhetorically tonight or just to try to bring this to a conclusion, and I hope it doesn't come across this way. But when we consider, and you consider your own heart tonight, you think about where it is, where it's been, where it's going. Is it pointed in the direction of purity or is it pointed in the direction of impurity? Which way are you going? Which way is your heart turned? Is it a desire for purity or a desire for purity? But I want a little bit of impurity to go with it. I'm not ready to go full bore into having all pure things. But yet, just like the scorner, we should cast out. We should cast out that impurity and only desire pure things. We're constantly have to be on guard. You've gotta guard your heart. You gotta have to guard with what you set before your eyes. You have to guard with what you allow to come in. Your heart is always a place where impurity if it is unchecked, will lodge. We will never be totally free from the lust of these sinful bodies until we get to glory. It's one of the great things. I don't think we fully comprehend what that's going to be when there won't be any impurity left. There will not be a possibility of sinning because we don't realize how deep sin has its tentacles into us. David's Prayer of confession is an example, of course. It's an example of how we ought to think about it. And we might even need to do that tonight. We might be in a place where repentance is what's next for us. We might have to say with David, created me a clean heart because my heart is not where it's supposed to be. My heart is impure. But I want pureness. Again, we spend a lot of time, we should, raising our children for some raising grandchildren, teaching them to think pure thoughts, do pure things, watch pure things, listen to pure things. But that same admonitions for us, the same rules we give to them are the same things we ought to give to ourselves. Prayerfully, that's what we think on tonight is the pureness. And leave here tonight with the desire to cast out all impurity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father,